That was beautiful. Thank you. You guys are so blessed um, to have such a wonderful choir. They did a great job this morning. Um, we should always express our thanks to those who lead us in worship. And the way worship leadership works is not people performing while we observe, but it's people who are worshiping and inviting us to join them. And you know, in that song there's a, that we, we just heard from uh, Tomlin, there's a, um, there's a line that says, you know, lifting our hands up to you. And when I first started as pastor at Pleasant Grove Baptist Church way back in the 90s, um, they were not accustomed to seeing people raise their hands in worship. And so there was some, as I was doing that, and there were a few others that were doing that. And so the question became, okay, what is this all about? And I decided the best way to explain that was just a, a illustration. So Allison, this tell you how long ago we're talking about. She was seven, and um, you know she's 31 now. But um, that one Sunday morning, I, I just pulled her up on the platform. I didn't tell her what I was going to do. I said, "Allison, sweetheart," I said, "Come up here for a second. And she walked up. <laughs> Get emotional when I think about this because it was so beautiful. It was so natural. I said, "Sweetheart, what what do you do when you want Daddy to pick you up?" And she immediately did this. And I just wrapped my arms around her and picked her up. I said, that's what we're basically saying to the Lord. Come, Lord. We need your presence. Lift us up where you are. It's a beautiful thing. Well, today, we are going to be, by the way, going into the book of Ephesians, but we're going to take a little detour first. I've got a series of messages that we're going to look at about change. Because I started thinking about the fact that that's what we're going through right now. Five Forks Baptist Church is experiencing change. When you have the possibility and the reality of a new pastor coming, we need to hear about how people in the Word have gone through change and what they, what they turned to, how they dealt with it. So we're going we're gonna to begin a, just a, a quick series of different people who dealt with change. And today we're going to talk about Isaiah. But before we do that, let me just tell you, I made a couple of, a few commitments before I came to be your interim pastor that I'm going to have to keep, and one of them is January 22nd. Um, I'm preaching a Sanctity of Human Life message at Innery Baptist Church over near Traveler's Rest that Sunday morning. So I've asked Matt uh, to preach here that Sunday morning about the sanctity of life. And so he's, he's agreed to do that, and I'm, I'm excited about that because I think Matt is a great communicator. He's a very good preacher, and he's got a real heart for life, and to hear what God says to him about that issue I think is really important. Um, and you also need to know this. Uh, many of you may, if you follow the news, you know that uh, South Carolina has back in, uh, of course, Roe versus Wade was overturned last year by the Supreme Court, and what that did is turn the question of abortion back to the states. And so now it's up to every state to determine what our abortion law is going to be. And we had a law, it was called the heartbeat bill, that abortions could not take place after six weeks when a heartbeat was detected. South Carolina Supreme Court overturned that law uh, this past week, which means right now South Carolina has the most liberal law in the southeast when it comes to abortion. You can have an abortion up to 22 weeks in South Carolina. 
So we're going to work on that. The legislature comes back into town next week. Part of my responsibility with the South Carolina Baptist Convention is to be down there and try to influence legislators. And we have an opportunity, actually. It was a 3-2 ruling by the Supreme Court. And we have an opportunity to put a Supreme Court justice on the South Carolina Supreme Court because the person who wrote the majority opinion, Kay Hearn, is retiring. And so in February, the legislature will replace that justice with another justice. And so we could go from 3-2 against the heartbeat bill to 3-2 in favor of a more restrictive law concerning abortion. So I would ask you to pray about that. Um, we live in a constitutional republic, and God has placed us here sovereignly in a place where our legislators need to hear from us about what we think about how South Carolina, what's the best laws for South Carolina to protect our families and our children. So, in any, any case, just wanted you to know about that and to be praying about it. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Isaiah. If you would, join me there. Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to begin in verse, um, uh, verse 1 and go through verse 8. And I would ask you, would, would you stand with me as we read God's Word together? In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations and the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me for... I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. Thank you, you can be seated. Sir Isaac Newton discovered something that God created or caused to be true within his creation. Everything continues in a state of rest until it is compelled to change by forces impressed upon it. Now that's the first law of motion. Everything continues in a state of rest. In other words, our natural state is to be at rest, and movement comes when change steps into the picture. And it can be good, it can be challenging, it can be whatever. But the truth is, we need to learn that change is a part of life. Change comes at us as life itself. And whether it's for the good or the bad, it causes a reaction. It causes us to move in one way or the other. And so we need to hear from God about which way we should move because God has something to say about that when it comes to change. We put it this way. For over 100 years, back before we were too politically correct to be able to appreciate the circus, and it's a great regret to me, I, I took my grandsons, two of them, to the last circus that came to Greenville. You know, they finally shut down 
Ringling Brothers finally went out of business because, and they were forced out of business by the political atmosphere that we find ourselves in. So no more going to the circus with the ringmaster and the flying trapezes, but back in the day, even before the circus would go in and occupy a stadium or an indoor arena, they had to raise the big top. And that was always a big deal. In fact, the circus coming to town, it would come to town on the train. There would be a parade through town because they would bring all the animals and the performers. And then they would go out to the place where the circus was going to be held and they would raise the big top and people would come to watch it because it was a spectacle to see that big tent go from being flat on the ground to being raised. And it took two groups of people to accomplish it. It took rope holders and risk takers. Now, the rope holders stayed on the ground, and they held on to the guy wires, the ropes, that would steady the tent. The risk takers, they were the ones that pushed upward and got the tent to rise to its height of usually about 70 feet above the ground. And so they were never content to stay on the ground. They liked the risk. They worked without a net. So while the rope holders were standing around holding the rope, steadying the tent, the risk takers did the work often of getting the tent up. But the point is this, without the rope holders and the risk takers, the big top would never be raised. It takes both. Now it's been my observation in the church that there are people who are rope holders. And I believe God made them that. Steadiers. People who hold on and make sure that as a body that we are holding firm to the truth, that we are holding firm to tradition, that we are holding firm to the things that matter. Being a conservative, the word actually means to conserve those things that are most important. So we need the people that are willing to hang on. Now, rope holders, if you want to know what kind of personality they have, if you look in their closet, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, they're all lined up. You go look at a rope holder's desk, and it could pass a West Point inspection. I mean, you look at my desk, and you would go, does this guy have a functioning life? How can he find anything in here? I mean, I'm, I'm definitely not Mr. Organization when it comes to stuff. Now, I've learned as I've gotten older, I've actually gotten a little bit better at that because I've had to. I live with a rope holder, and <laughs> pillows on the bed don't get me started. But anyway... So, so they're, they're the rope holders or the steady ones, the, the, what you would say, the people who have their feet firmly planted on the ground. But the risk takers, they just plunge. I mean, they're kind of like, they're, they're like Maverick in Top Gun. If you think up there, you're dead. Don't think, just do. And I'm thinking, wow, that's me. <laughs> you know, ready, fire, aim a lot of times. I, I have to make sure that I, I get those things in the right order. Because I tend to be more of a risk taker. I'm a pusher. I like to think about where we can go. Where are the boundaries? Okay, let's go beyond them. Well, it's good to have those people in the church. Because they challenge us to move forward. They challenge us to look at the good things that change can bring and embrace them. And at the same time, we need those people holding on to the ropes. To make sure that we don't go too far. To make sure that we don't go too fast. But to make sure that we move together as one 
And so change brings an opportunity for the rope holders and the risk takers to come together. But what happens often in a church is the rope holders and the risk takers get at one another. And that's when you can have conflict because of change. And what we need is the power of God to overcome that, to appreciate all of the gifts that God has given us so that we can move forward in confidence. Now think about the disciples for a second. You had a rope holder and a risk taker in Jesus' inner circle. I bet you can guess. Peter's the risk taker, right? The only reason Peter opened his mouth sometimes was to change feet. I mean, he was just, he was bold. John was Mr. Steady. He was Mr. Think About It twice. You know, when when the resurrection happened, Peter and John ran to the tomb, and John was younger, so he outran Peter. But John was standing there at the tomb thinking, what now? And Peter just, I can just imagine John standing there and Peter going right by him. Didn't even think twice. I'm going in. That's Peter. John was different. And yet, in the scheme of things, Peter and John were leaders among the apostles. And it was necessary for both of their approaches to balance one another so that the most was accomplished for the kingdom. Without both groups, the show would never go on. There would never be progress made. Now, let's go back to Sir Isaac Newton for just a minute. His first law of motion. Everything continues in a state of rest until it's compelled to change by forces that are impressed upon it. As we said, life is that force that comes at us demanding change. Everything that is living experiences change. I need to be able to, I used to not be able to have to wear glasses. Now I do because life came at me and I have to, I have to have glasses. First 40 years of my life wasn't a question. Other things happen. We adjust. I have, I was talking in Sunday school this morning. I'm glad we live in a time when I've got two stainless steel titanium knees with space age plastic. You know, do they work as well as my God-given knees? Well, some days I have my good days and my bad days, but most of the time they work great. I can tell you this, I'm in a lot less pain today than I was before I stopped having all the shots and the stuff that we all go through when our knees start to go. So, you know, we need to embrace the things that God brings into our life, but we need balance in order to do it as life comes at us. Now, let's look at the background of this passage for just a second. King Uzziah reigned in Judah from 792 B.C. to 740 B.C. Think about that. He was king for 52 years. You realize there were people born in Judah that knew no one other than Uzziah. He's the only king they ever heard about. And he died. And Isaiah chapter 6 begins with that very simple statement. He went the way of all the world. The Bible says that he was a good king, but he had his flaws. But overall, he had a lot of accomplishments for Judah. They were strong militarily. The Bible says that God's presence and power was upon him and that people would come from all over the world because of that he was similar to david in that regard and that and solomon and that people would come to to observe to see because they could tell that god was at work in his life and he lived and he reigned and the people were were known to him and he died and that was a monumental change 
So what do we see Isaiah, how do we see him respond to the fact that 52 years has now gone and change, major change, is coming to Judah? The first thing we see is that Isaiah had a high view of God's holiness. And so do we need to have that. He had a high view of God's holiness. Isaiah's view of God allowed him to see God in a new way. The earthly king left his throne, and where did Isaiah lift his eyes? To the heavenly king who never leaves his throne. Actually, he did leave his throne long enough to come down here so that we could be saved and get to heaven to be with him one day. But he was still on the throne. He was still ruling and reigning in a sovereign way. (coughs) Elijah had been serving God in Uzziah's court, but now his death gave Isaiah the motivation to look beyond his grief, to lift his eyes, or Elijah, I should say, above his circumstances and to see God. That's where our vision has to be. When change comes, we look immediately beyond the circumstances. We lift up our eyes and we see God high, lifted up, glorious, seated on the throne, still in charge, not surprised, not without a plan. God's plan can't be changed by the ways of man. God's will and God's ways are going to continue. You know, on my first trip to Ridgecrest Conference Center in North Carolina, We arrived late in the afternoon. It was a beautiful day. Sun was going down. You know what that looks like in the mountains, right? I mean, it was like the mountains were on fire. The sky, the mountains coming together. It was so beautiful. So I was looking forward to the next morning. I like to get up early, and I was looking forward to grabbing my coffee and getting out there on those rocking chairs and looking at the mountains as the sun came up. But when I went out, it was like walking around in a light bulb. I mean, it was, it was just totally white. The fog had descended, and you couldn't see past the, ed, the rail that was at the edge of where I was sitting in the rocking chair. And I'm sitting there having my coffee. But you know, I didn't panic. I didn't sit there and go, oh my goodness, the mountains are gone. What happened to them? Somebody took them down overnight. No, I, they were still there. I just couldn't see them. And sure enough, because I was patient, in a few hours, the sun burned off the fog. I, They were still there. Sometimes when change comes, our vision can become clouded if we're not looking to the glory of God. That's that's why Isaiah looked up, because he knew that God was still in control. He knew God was still there. He knew that the people would be provided for, and that's the confidence that we have to have in God when we go through change. There are times in our lives when we can't sense God's presence because of our circumstances. I bet every one of you at some point has wondered, where is the Lord? Has he abandoned us? You know, 9-11, somebody asked Ann Graham Lotz in an interview, he said, where was God on 9-11? Where was he? And Ann Graham Lotz looked at him and said, God was running up the stairs with those firemen and police officers. God was holding the hands of the ones who jumped out of the top floor because of the fire that was about to take them. God was comforting those who were hurt. God was with the ones who were dying. God's presence was everywhere on 9-11. But we often think that God isn't showing up unless there's some miraculous moment that changes everything. Here's the way God 
changes everything today. He changes everything in our life when we face circumstances that are cloudy. He comes and he, he brings the light. He brings the encouragement. He brings himself, his presence. David wrote this, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon the rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. You see, Satan will steal your song. He'll rob you of your joy. He'll isolate you from the one who can deliver you from despair. And you don't want to let the devil do that. Can I just remind you of something? He's the second most powerful force in the universe. Number one, God, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, is reigns over all things, and he can reign in the influence of worry and fear over our lives because of change. But we have to raise our eyes and we have to look to him. I faced a season of change about four years ago that was very difficult. And there's a song that can't, I, I don't know if, if, if you're like me, but so many times when I really need it, a song shows up. I remember when Rick Kirby, who was one of my dearest friends, he was serving with me at Pleasant Grove Baptist Church as minister of music, and he died in a car accident way too soon. Such a good man, father, husband, leader. You know, the, the, the funeral, when we had his visitation, they had to put up stanchions and move people back and forth in the gym before they brought him in the sanctuary. That's how many people were coming through. You know how they have honorary pallbearers, and usually they're, you know, people that were Sunday school, in the Sunday school class, or maybe people that served. Rick Kirby's group that were sitting together were people that were called into the ministry under his leadership. And there was a song that was very popular, and as I was riding around the day of his funeral, it came on the radio. You probably have heard of it. I can only imagine. Mercy me. God took that song and he reached into my heart and he pulled the hurt and the pain and the despair and he replaced it with the knowledge that my friend was standing in the presence of the Lord where there'll never be pain again. And he's waiting. And we'll all be there with him one day, those of us who call on the name of Jesus. But this song, just four years ago, was out there. It's by a group called Elevation. Listen to these words, if I can get through them. The older I get, the more emotional I get. Is that just the way this works? Walking around these walls, I thought by now <laughs> they'd fall. Stop with me right there for a second. Anybody with me? Is there something that you're walking around in your life that you're dealing with? Thinking, I thought by now God would have intervened. I thought by now God would have taken in and taken this away from me because I'm calling on him. Listen to the next line. Walking around these walls, I thought by now they'd fall. <laughs> but you have never failed me yet. I know the night won't last. Your word will come to pass. My heart 
will sing your praise again. Jesus, you're still enough. Keep me within your love. My heart will sing your praise again. It was spiritual medicine to my life in a time when I really needed to hear it. And when we go through change, sometimes that's the way we feel. We feel like, Lord, what's happening here? What are you up to? Why are all things that I don't recognize, are they so different? We need to be reminded that he has never failed us yet. Second thing, Isaiah had a humble view of himself. Look at verse 5 through 7. Notice it says, Woe is me, for I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean unclean lips. Isaiah, you know, he didn't look up to God and say, in an arrogant way, I deserve this. Lord, I'm glad to see your presence. I'm glad you finally realized I'm one of yours, and it's about time that I'm starting to get a little inside information. No. Isaiah saw the Lord, and the first thing that happened to him is he was humbled because of what he saw. And that's what needs to happen to us. As we humble ourselves to the Lord, what does 2 Chronicles 7.14 say? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves that's the very first thing come to a point where we realize that we're desperate for what god's going to do next and in that desperation we hear from him anybody remember promise keepers i think it was 1996 i went to washington for that big national event i've got a picture on it in my office that was taken from the top of the washington monument let me tell you what that day was like several of us had been fasting leading up to that day, and I was one of them. And we got to the point at noon where these Messianic Jews came out on the Capitol steps and blew the shofars. There were, there were like six or eight of them, and they were so big, the, the real shofars, I mean, I've got one on my desk that's kind of a, but the real ones, they have to have a stand to, to hold them. And they walked up and they called us to worship in the same way that God called his people to worship in the Old Testament. And they blew the shofar. And you know what happened? God's presence was so strong in that place that grown men started falling down to their knees. And we ended up on our face. We were laying, I mean, it was an incredible sight. Why? Because when God shows up and his presence is among us so thick, the first thing that comes to mind is hide. You know, I hear charismatics sometimes. They talk about, oh, I was praying out in the spiritual realm today, and I met Jesus, and we splashed water on one another in the river of life. And I'm like, what an idiot. I mean, I don't, I don't even know how to tell. Why, why would I say that? Because I'm going to tell you something. You would be like John on the Isle of Patmos. You would be like those who were with Paul when Jesus showed up on the road to Damascus. Your first response would be to fall flat because you're in the presence of the king. And then the good news is Jesus takes us and he lifts us up. Once we humble ourselves, then he picks us up and he gives us whatever it is that we lack, that we need in order to continue to serve him in the midst of whatever's come into our life, whatever change is taking hold. Oh, it's so beautiful when we think about it. When we fall before the Lord, he's faithful to lift us up. All right, let's quickly go to the third thing. Isaiah had a here I am heart in verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? 
And who will go for us? I said, Lord, here I am. Send me. The clarity of the vision of God's holiness is is directly related to the clarity and reality of God's call on our life. Isaiah just simply said, Lord, what you're looking for is right here. In the New Testament, it says, Paul said this, he said, Make me a vessel of honor, made clean by the blood of Jesus, that I might be able to serve you. That's what Isaiah is saying. He realized his sin. He was broken in humility because he was a sinner. When when you're up against the glory of God, that's what you see. That's what you feel. And yet, he was forgiven. The angel took the coal, which was a symbol, a sign of the power of God, the glory of God, cleansing him, touched his lips, made him worthy to be God's messenger through that cleansing. Isaiah knew he couldn't do it. Just like Moses knew he couldn't speak. Just like Paul knew he couldn't speak. Just like all of the, the great leaders of the Scripture, they all understood that unless God spoke through them, nothing was going to happen. I pray every time I step up here that God would use me because I don't have anything to say to you that's going to change your life. I'm not that smart. You can ask my wife. But if God takes over and speaks through me if the power of the holy spirit overcomes and anoints me then the word can bring about change and can encourage us through the change that we face and make us encouraged walking around these walls i thought by now they'd fall but he has never failed us yet what a beautiful picture you know Here I am speaks of Isaiah's availability, his step-forward attitude. It's like Mary when she said to the angel that came to her, let it be according to your words, I'm your servant. Mary was hearing some pretty incredible stuff. You're going to be pregnant, girl. And it's not going to be by the normal means. It's going to be by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the one that's in you will be the Son of God. Mary. 14 years old at the most. Let it be according to your word. I'm your servant. Isaiah, Lord, you need somebody to go? You've empowered me. You've forgiven me. I've confessed my sin. I'm ready. Send me. He's willing to go without knowing where the journey would take him. We need that. We need to be willing to go wherever God leads us as a church at Five Forks, wherever he calls us to be knowing that he's going to be with us you know my uh my oldest grandson that's here is playing baseball and he's turning into a pretty good baseball player i mean i i love watching him he got the award for uh most valuable player in the playoff games that they had because he had two hits a home run and then he threw out somebody at home play. I don't know, there's a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, Papa's lose count. We're just jumping up and down when he comes up, whether he strikes out or hits a home run. So, but before, when he started playing t-ball, it didn't look like he could, (laughs) it looked like he had my coordination, not his dad's. And so, but when he was up there, and he was getting ready to hit off the tee, the coach would come up and stand with him and tell him what to do and stand with him as he hit the ball. He didn't let him go up there by himself. He was afraid. 
He was reluctant. He felt like he wasn't gifted enough to do what the coach was asking him to do. But the coach didn't stand behind the fence and yell. He walked up there and put his hands on him and said, this is how you do it. And I really believe that's what God does. When we humble ourselves and come before him and say, Lord, here I am. Send me. I think God shows up in that manner. And he walks with us. And he opens doors. And he enables And he empowers. And then he calls us to greater things. Because if we can be faithful in the little things, God will move us into the greater things. I want to conclude just by asking you to think for a second with me about a tapestry. You know how beautiful they are? I mean, I love tapestries. I, I like art. I like music. And I've seen these beautiful tapestries hanging on the wall. And one time I did walk around and look at the back, just kind of peeked. It's chaos. The back of the tapestry looks like somebody was having a bad day when they tried to put that thing together. The front is a beautiful picture of it all coming together. But in order for that to happen, the chaos is taking place on the back. We need to understand something. We live in a world today where we see the back of the tapestry many times. Chaos. Seems like things are moving out of control. Step around on the other side and see what God sees. He's weaving a beautiful picture of redemption and His will. But we don't, if we focus on the back part, we're going to be discouraged. Keep our eyes on what God is doing as He's accomplishing His work in the world because there are so many things. Let me just say this real quick. I'm sorry. I know it's time for us to go. That's another thing. The older you get, you just want to talk about the Lord. You know, I'm an NFL fan. By the way, when you come on February the 12th, another thing we're going to do that night is celebrate the Cowboys win. But anyway. (laughs) um, But here's the thing. Last night, it was an important game because they... Um, it was coming down to the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Tennessee Titans, and whoever won that game was going to win the division. Now, they're still going to have a losing record, mind you, but they're going to win the division. So, but the game was not near as important as what happened before. It's incredible. Remember a few years ago when these NFL players were kneeling during the national anthem? I boycotted football for a year. I couldn't take it. I couldn't watch it. But you know, last night, because of Hamlin, the young man that suffered cardiac arrest, who's now making a miraculous recovery, I called Denise in here. I said, look at this. All of the players and the coaches, all of them, were in the center of the field on their knees, praying, asking God, praising Him, asking Him to continue to heal and restore. It's It's amazing. Even the commentators, I mean, they couldn't ignore it, right? I mean, it's not like they could just say, well, they're sending their thoughts to that young man. No, they had to, they had to admit, these people are praying. We talked about prayer on national television. We watched people engaging in it. We saw the emotion. God's doing something. You know, if He can, if he can do that and get our attention... We need to remember to keep looking at the front of the tapestry because the back is chaos, but God in the world today, He's doing something.
Let him do it among us here at Five Fours. He's doing something. He's going to call a new pastor. And that new pastor is going to need you rope holders and you risk takers. He's going to need both of you to be sure that you're serving him and have your eyes on him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer for our invitation. Father, I just pray in Jesus' name that you would take your word and inspire and bring change. Lord, the Holy Spirit is here because when your word is spoken, it's the power of that word through, that comes from the Holy Spirit, Lord, that can bring about real change. Some of us need to be encouraged today. Some of us need to be challenged. Some of us need to be convicted. Some of us need to be comforted. Whatever the word needs to do, I pray it'll do in this moment. And I pray that, that your people would be open and respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us? If God's calling you, come and pray. If God's calling you to become a member of this church, come, unite with us. If God's...